Hello everyone and welcome back to uh, another episode of Behind Massive Screens, a game development podcast uh, here from Massive Entertainment in Malmö, Sweden. My name is Dorian, joined here by my co-host Petter. Hello. And as always, a wonderful guest that we'll get to in just a moment because, yes. uh, I mean, we, we have a runoff show. We have to have a little bit of banter, you know, uh, show off our personalities and, and get people invested. Exactly. Right? All, that, all that podcast YouTube stuff. Yes. yes. So I, I think the first thing that I want to touch upon a little bit is, uh, well, there has been a, a, a little bit of a shakeup with I, you. I, I guess. Because, uh, well, you've gotten a new job. You're not leaving Massive. Nope. You've gotten a new job. I do. I won't be leaving the podcast. I won't be leaving Massive. Uh, no, I went from communications back home, uh, so to speak, back to the Division 2. Oh, so you now you're actually working on the division um, and yeah. what are you going to be, be doing uh i'm now content coordinator so it's a lot of text there's a lot of, oh. of story it's a lot of words okay that, so business as usual in one yeah. in one way but yeah yeah maker of words sure it sounds good i'll put that on linkedin but uh yes let's uh, introduce our guest we are joined here by connie Hi there. Who is a technical artist. So, uh, for those of you familiar with the podcast, you might guess we're going to be talking about what a technical artist does. Uh, so, I think let's just fire straight off into our uh, usual first question, and that is, what is a technical artist? Well, and, then, and, and w- what does that job entail? Well, that's actually a really fun question because uh, when I started my education as a technical artist, the first thing we did in school was actually the teacher asked us, do you know what a technical artist is? That's <laughs> <laughs> like That made me feel like, okay, maybe I'm not that dumb that I only scrubbed through the information about what this education was and then applied <laughs> for it. Uh, we're kind of a jack of all trades. Uh, we do rigging for games, which is like adding functionality so that the characters can move. And we make sure the skinning on them is good so that deformations when you move your arms and stuff is is well made. Yeah, to, uh, um, so I guess to to avoid clipping. To avoid clipping. Yes. That's always the goal. <laughs> to avoid all the clipping. Um, and we do shaders. Um, I kind of want I kind of joke around that with the janitors of game development. <laughs> Making sure that name standards are correct and uh, everything looks good and skin shaders behave the way they do and stuff like that. Um, I also dabble a lot in making effects like fire, electricity, uh, all that stuff. Um, and that's what I love about it. The uh, flexibility and variation in in uh, uh, work assignments and stuff like that. Yeah, so, sounds like a very like convergent role within. It's like a, um, like a middle point where everything is meeting. Yeah, exactly. We kind of get used to also um, do dialogue between different disciplines. Um, we also program tools uh, using, yeah, oftentimes Python, a little simpler uh, programming language. And that gives us also a little bit of programming info as well. So we kind of try to have all the little cake slices. <laughs> I, th- I think the word tech is becoming more and more clear just from this, because that, mm. that's what confused me initially with, with tech art when you hear it. Uh, is that okay? So it's art, but it's tech. Like, what does that part of the the job description actually mean? Yeah. Uh, so it's starting to get there. Uh, before we dive into all of this, there were so many terms and stuff that came up there. <laughs> uh, and communication between teams and all that stuff. Let's start with a classic behind, my, behind Massive Screens question. How did you end up at Massive Entertainment and the games industry? 
Oh, um, it's actually a fun thing because um, I started making maps for games, you know, like StarCraft, Age of Empires, as a usual start. Uh, but then I started with Warcraft 3 maps and I never left them for like 15 years. <laughs> I just <laughs> kind of started hijacking the systems and getting more and more advanced using only this quote-unquote engine. Right. It's so open and so powerful that it kind of works like Unreal Engine if you know it good enough. Um, but most of my friends were like asking, shouldn't you make like a real game project? And I tried to tell them like, if I'm going to do everything by myself, it's going to take years. Hmm. If I just like take small parts of already programmed systems and already existing models, then I can shortcut my way through and, uh, and make the games I want to make. Yeah. And, and focus on the discipline that you're interested in rather than having to yeah, learn some other parts of the, the pipeline. That, exactly. Uh, don't interest you. I had no idea that Warcraft 3 map maker was that advanced. Like it, you could do so much with it. It's insane. Like you can actually put in like a trigger that allows custom scripts and you can actually just code inside the, the editor oh, really? and it, it works. Yeah. Um, so I started up with that. I did some basic storytelling. Then I got frustrated that the animations were too bad and the <laughs> rigs were too bad. So I downloaded a lot of third party pro- programs that allowed me to start learning how to rig actually. and animate characters for Warcraft 3. Um, And the funny thing is, there's a system called IK and FK uh, when you're animating and rigging. I had no idea that existed until I started school like two years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like for all the animators out there, like I animated walk and run cycles using FK. And that's like, you're controlling the joints from the top down. So I need to make sure that the hip looks right and the leg looks right. If you have IK... The leg kind of helps you do that on its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of, you just move the foot and the leg kind of understands where it's supposed to go. Yeah, so, so the joints are kind of correct, uh, connected. So if you move one, the other one moves in a natural fashion. Exactly. While FK is the other way around and makes no sense when you're trying to do <laughs> <laughs> running and walking. Unless you want to be extremely detailed. <laughs> exactly. That's what I pretend. Like, I just want full control. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like something I recognize from the week that I tried to learn Unreal. <laughs> Not Unreal, uh, Unity. Mm went very well um <laughs> but yeah you you mentioned their uh, education so uh, you went from modding into uh, where do you study oh uh so using all these warcraft 3 maps i actually made a portfolio to apply for the game assembly uh super amazing school they throw you right into creating games so like after the first two weeks they're just like okay now we're making games you're the tech guards you should have control over this and this and this and they put you together with like nine other people uh, of different disciplines and yeah you just make the game so sounds like an like an endless game jam yeah exactly and uh, like that's the best way to learn we used uh, perforce in school which is the industry standard Mm -hmm. we used maya which is the industry standard they gave us all the tools that is proper to learn so that our workflow can be as reminiscent as possible to to the real thing it's no it's no coincidence that the game assembly tends to come up quite a lot in the discussions here. It's also located in Malmo, so yeah, uh, that makes sense. But a lot of people that have come here, a lot of people, but several people have come here and said they started the game assembly, which is really nice. Obviously a great school. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's amazing. Yeah, um, and another part that makes that like a natural transition is internships. Yeah. Which exactly. uh, I believe you started here as an intern. I did. Uh, I actually, uh, I learned how to rig at the game assembly and not actually from uh, a teacher but from a really nice uh, like um, 
what do you call it, school friend mm. called uh, Daniel Udlund. And uh, I wanted to rig for the projects, but like the actual course for rigging were later in the year. And since I knew only the basics from Warcraft 3, I had a lot to catch up on. Mm. And thankfully he would sit bes- beside me and like learn, me, learn the basics and uh, teach me more and more advanced stuff. So I would not be here today like if he, if he wouldn't step up and, and teach me that stuff for sure. And nice. then you applied for Massive. And then I applied for, for Massive. I had a, a talk with Palle um, and um, we had a wonderful conversation. And um, uh, I felt like, wow, this feels like the right place for me. Uh, I had, I had a, not that many options. It was mostly tri- AAA, wanting uh, technical animators that I went through. That was my title at the time mm-hmm. and the job I applied for. Um, but Palle said that he wanted a technical animator and a technical artist. And I'm like, that's kind of what I did at TJ. Mm. I rigged most of the time and I did effects secondary. I'm like, that if I can do that like at a, at a AAA studio, that would be super cool. Uh, and then when I got here, perfect welcome. Like every time I wrote to someone in Teams, like, hey, how do you do this thing? And, you know, they would always go, oh, hey, welcome to the team. And, you know, welcome to Massive. And I was like, holy, the, the culture here is amazing. <laughs> well, what is this? Uh, so that was super nice. Um, I mean, you hear a lot of stuff about AAA studios and um, you're like, I don't know what to, what to believe. And then you actually get here and it's like the warmest place on earth. Mm. So I'm super happy. And speaking of Palle, just to mention, we actually have an episode with Palle, art producer on mm. the Division 2 in the feed. So go back and check that out. I knew the plug was coming. I, of course, I've been sitting here just waiting <laughs> I'm like, I'm to start tar- to stop talking so I can plug Palace episode. I'm like, I'm just going to drop Palace name yeah, here. And then watch each episode in between and, you know, yeah, yeah. you like have to subscribe. You have to have the full context, you know. You exactly. can't just, you can just jump in an episode X, whatever. You can start a season eight. You need to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so how long have you been here now? Since when, so you obviously went for an internship to actually be hired yes. uh, full-time here at Massive. So how long have you been here? Super happy day when I get hired. Um, <laughs> I've, I've been hired here since January yep. and I've been, had my internship in uh, August, I think it was, or right. September. Uh, so I had a shorter internship than uh, the animators and graphic designers. We in TechArt had that for some reason. Mm. We don't know. why, <laughs> uh, But uh, thankfully, they liked my job and uh, the work I did. And uh, I, the, the immense trust ever since stepping in here as an intern mm-hmm. amazed me. Mm. Like, I felt like it's going to be really hard regulations and they're going to have their ideas and stuff. And I came with suggestions quite early. Like, we had, uh, we had some clipping issues with pants and shirts in the game. Uh, and I was like, oh, shouldn't we change the guidelines to to fit what the shirt should look like instead? Right. And the, a conversation started. We actually did a meeting on it. And it was decided that it's better to keep the old guidelines mm-hmm. so that we, we keep them. But we had just all the shirts in the game that don't follow the guidelines. Right. And I'm like, that's super. Like, I, I brought up an issue. I uh, It was seen. It, everyone agreed. And there were actually a solution. Yep. And I, like, I think it was my fourth week or something and Pali goes yeah just go ahead and change all the shirts in the game <laughs> I'm like I'm an intern you know nothing about me what is this gigantic trust and I'm like sure I'll, I'll go edit all the shirts in the game why not and uh, yeah you, I got to um, put on pants equip the shirt like sh- check all the pants how it's looking how it's working check the original guideline is it following it and then tweak it and then right. over and over for like 
male and female shirts and like 80 shirts in the game. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's a lot of shirts. Yeah, there was a lot of shirts. I don't know the exact number, but yeah, it was a while too, <laughs> to make sure that that was correctly done. I think the shirt's going to come up later again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> More shirt about, talk? We're going to talk about the shirts for the rest <laughs> of the episode. Yeah, because I, I, I want to bring it up a little bit back to like your, your day-to-day. Because yeah. l- like you mentioned earlier, you, you seem to, there's a lot of hats to be worn as a technical artist. For sure. But uh, let's say your, your day-to-day, you come in, what is it that you're taking a look at first? Are you looking for shirts, uh, <laughs> looking for shirts, <laughs> for issues like the shirts to fix? Or, or is it, do you have like a, a set of, of tasks that you need to perform and then you're also looking into improved systems? Um, we actually, it's dependent on how close we are to our release on our TUs. Uh, we usually have like a, a working curve of really calm, um, time periods and really like, uh, high pressure time periods. So if it's a period where it's like all the graphic designers have made their, their assets and our outsourcing teams have made their assets, I need to make sure all of that is working in, in the game. Mm-hmm. And I take a look at them as a complete set. I make sure the missive strength, uh, how, how much it glows in game, like it looks correct in day and nighttime and uh, the clipping issues are not too apparent and stuff like that. So in those time periods where we're just now actually going out of, uh, it, it can be quite hectic. Mm. And then there's no like space to check like uh, entire systems that, that you can take a look at and maybe make better. Um, but uh, then when there's calm periods, there's like, yeah, but the shirt clipping, which is like a thing where we wanted to uh, fix that. Uh, or uh, we also had the die system that where you can recolor your gearing game that wasn't working really consistently throughout the, the gear sets. So we were like, okay, now we have quite a, a calm sp- spell here. Uh, we can take a look at how to optimize that in the game and make sure it's always consistent. The same color is uh, the primary color on all different gear items. Um, so you work on that bigger task. Uh, meanwhile, you have time uh, and not have the other tasks. Right. I'm actually really, I just want to touch about the shirts again. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, sorry, they're a great... Um, example of stuff that you you do a lot more obviously but just that practically mm. like we can talk about fixing shirts mm. but how uh, like how do, how do you you sit in front of the computer you have a shirt <laughs> like okay i'm gonna fix this well you do the avada cadaver and then it's fixed <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, the, the fix button problem the fix the button, button, yeah. Yeah, just, right, <laughs> yeah what you need works. to do actually is uh we have a guidelines file in maya that's a model and there's a green limit how small it's allowed to be and a red limit how big it's allowed to be. Mm-hmm. So we import the shirt and we see like how much is this inside the zone of what's allowed. But that's not always 100% uh, trustworthy because there can be some pants that are pushing the limits a tiny bit and stuff like that. When you say large and small, you mean on the model? On the model. We're not talking about like how big the textures are allowed to be like in... in no, exactly. Megabytes. We're exactly. talking. Uh, how big the, yeah, the model how, is in how game far, space. How far they flare out in 3D space. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. And like, if you see it then poking out or like being too um, big or small in some areas, uh, I usually just take the area that's problematic and I either push in the vertices that are the problem or I soft select and move like a clump of the mesh in. Because usually clothes, like they're soft, uh, you want it to look more natural with the flow. So you don't want to have like one spike 
of a shirt just moving <laughs> like straight inside the body. Uh, so you take like a clump and you move that clump in and make sure that it still looks good and stuff. Uh, so when you've done that on the guidelines, then I usually check. Uh, we have a system in game where you can have a shirt on a character and then just like put other pants on and I make sure like, okay, nothing is poking through. Nothing is like looking weird. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, for 80 shirts. For 80 shirts. <laughs> How long did that take? <laughs> Two days, approximately. Oh, that's not, so not that. That's not, not so. too bad, but it's still a lot of shirts. Yeah. I'm so... T- the, the word shirt has lost anything. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> let's move on. Um, you talked about shaders as well. Can you we yeah. talk a little bit about like what is a shader? Mm. And particularly, how does it work in Snowdrop? Yeah. Our in-house game engine. Uh, shaders are either like you have vertex shaders that... It looks like the mesh is moving its vertices, like uh, they're animated, but it's actually just an quote-unquote illusion where the shader is moving the model uh, in like a, uh, what do you call it, non, like in a non-conventional way. So they're usually like less heavy on the PC than actually moving the vertices over. And then there's pixel shaders, uh, which is a lot what I do. And a common example of that is like a flipbook shader. So you have smoke and you want the smoke to move in a natural way. So instead of like spawning in a lot of small smoke clouds, you actually do one smoke cloud. And then there's like, yeah, 18 frames or something of this smoke that passes over. Right. Uh, so like it becomes like a small movie when the cloud arrives, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if it's bigger and if it's slower, you need more frames, just like in movies. And if it's like faster, smaller, uh, smokes, you can just have a like fast pan and you can't really tell that it's only 18 frames. Right. Yeah. I, I have to say, I feel so smart right now because, <laughs> because. because uh, when John Barron's, uh, ex- kind of explained this, uh, as well in a previous episode, check out the, <laughs> I knew the plug was coming. episode. <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, he talked about exactly this, and I, and I was just like, "Oh yeah, I understand." Uh, it doesn't happen a lot on this podcast. Where, <laughs> That's cool too. Where, where I understand the principle right away. Um, I am proud of you. You've learned. Yeah, but so so that is the system that is not just for like special effects, explosions, and smoke, but but it's also on you know other aspects in the game. Shaders is actually like all over games. Uh, like when we have skin, uh, you don't want to render skin uh, as advanced as if you're zoomed in all the way from a distance yep. because it would be heavy on performance. So you want to do like when you zoom in on the face, you start to see the pores and stuff. That gives you the illusion just like in real life that, oh, I can see the details when I zoom in. And that's a shader. Um, and uh, we also have really cool uh, like shaders that do camo for us. So we can take pants and then just throw like a camo pattern and it just tiles over the pants, make, mm-hmm. making it look like there's actually like camo print on the pants. So not having to do like separate textures for like, okay, these are camo pants, these are jeans pants. I think shaders is one of the points where I gave up on Unity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there's even more stuff that you've been, been, been working on, all these smaller things like a neck system. A next system, yeah. We were having um, we were having trouble with our balaclavas in game because the the concept designers wanted to have the necks because it looks really cool. Mm-hmm. But then when we do the shirts, we sometimes have collars, and it's like, how do you mix collars with 
next on balaclavas and i'm like well how do we do that (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like well maybe if we somehow could ask the game does this shirt have a collar or not then in that way we could do we roll up the balaclava in case you have a neck Mm. and we have no clipping Mm. so i tried a few different ways of doing this and i i finally found a pin where i could like okay i can put a constant here it's like a yeah uh, it's a python term uh, you put like a, a value and you tell like this has a neck, this has no neck. And then from the output, like into the output, and then from the input on the neck pieces, we like get that value. And then we either hide uh, the longer neck or we hide the shorter neck, mm. depending on that. Which means even more going into old assets and like, okay, now we need two variants of this. <laughs> and like, who's going to do that? And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's my system. I can do that, I, I guess. I'm in a calm period. <laughs> I'm in a calm period. So the, there I was like, okay, every headgear that now has a neck, I'll personally go into and make the male and female rolled up version to make sure there's no clipping. So triple um, A game development is complicated, <laughs> extremely detailed. Yeah, Um, yeah. (laughs) that's all I'm going to say to that. (laughs) Yeah, but hopefully, uh, like, the system works well, and hopefully the players are happy with um, getting these cool neck pieces, real balaclavas. Like, that's that's really cool. I think it's just important to point out kind of how complicated these things can get uh, before one starts complaining about certain details. Sorry, now I'm sounding flippant. That's not my point. But just understanding how things are actually what it looks like behind the scenes. It's not just throw the balaclava on there. It's going to look cool, Mm. but really like, okay, we have to go into proper systems Mm. uh, to make this happen. Because yeah, when you have a a system with, uh, I don't know how many uh, clothing items are in the game. And when you have all of them intersecting and they could be mixed and matched in so many ways, then the underlying system of how they will match together needs to be, well, more complicated and at the same time streamlined. Yeah, exactly. And we have like, uh, I'm not, uh, like I'm going to go on a tangent here. Uh, we have a glasses. We, love <laughs> we, have, we have a glasses system that makes sure that the glasses fit on your nose and their ears. So the glasses have joints that jump to the head joint. So it's like, oh, here's the player's nose. Put the glasses here. But the problem is we have 20 different heads that have very different like uh, looks of them. And sometimes the joints are not placed as you would want them. So I was like, okay, either we have no clipping and sometimes the glasses float a bit or we have clipping on the larger heads. So I'm like, how can we actually get the information from certain heads and move the offset on just those heads? And of course, there's like no real smooth way to do this. (laughs) So I was like, okay, what can we do? And I was like, okay, we can measure the inside of the eye to the outside of the eyelid because that's a constant value Mm. that's unique to every head (laughs) and then it can be like oh if it's this distance give it this offset and then you can make sure the glasses fit the noses and ears a lot better (laughs) (laughs) i could listen to this stuff all day (laughs) that's awesome oh thank you tech artists do a lot Yeah, I mean a lot of random stuff. <laughs> yeah, because you were you were you were, you were um, talking about a lot of the, the stuff they did. For example, rigging mm. as well. Mm. I want to talk a little bit more about rigging. Like, can you explain what it is first, like from an overview? What what does rigging mean? It's when you put out 
uh, it's called joints. And those are like um, points where the model will turn. So it's like your skeleton. Uh, so when you're rigging something, you need to make sure like, okay, what will move and what will not. So you put like a joint in the shoulder and the, uh, and the elbow and the, and the wrist. And then uh, you build your skeleton so that the character can, can move where it needs to be. And then you need to also skin that character so that the, the body moves naturally. So uh, that's when you tell uh, the model like what vertices should move with this joint and how much, you know. So you want like maybe some shoulder hair and some upper arm hair. Um, and yeah, um, I don't know if that was clear enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pr pretty much. But, but then I'm wondering like when you get uh, from the animators, you get, oh, here's a new emote. Yeah. Um, can you then apply that to all of the different player skeletons that you have? Or do you need to kind of go in and tweak for each and every one? No, uh, we make sure that like every time we get emotes or new animations, it works with our current skeleton. Okay. Uh, the only time we actually did uh, break our skeleton system was when we updated the cinematic heads. Then we made new joints and the old animations don't work. Okay. To make sure it looks better. Yeah. But how, how complicated does it get? I mean, for just for humans, because if you see something in a game where the rigging is slightly off or... Mm -hmm. uh, not meaning so much Uncanny Valley, it's just like something looks strange. Of course, you see this a lot in older games, uh, more oh. than modern AAA, but how complicated it is to make it just a human move like a human? It's really hard. Like we see humans move all the time. Mm -hmm. So we know exactly like how the hands bend and uh, how the body should move. Um, a lot of that is, of course, in the animations that should look natural. But if you look at a hand, you think like, oh, the finger turns here, and then the the next finger turns here, and that's easy. But if you look inside with all the muscles and the bones, you start to realize that the entire hand actually deforms when you bend your fingers. And you're like, oh, well, then I need a joint inside the hand, and maybe I need a second joint to control uh, that my hand bends in the right way. Like one example is um, your uh, your elbow, because it's natural to think that you have a joint in your elbow, but we actually do have one between the wrist and the elbow to make sure that the skin can follow naturally when the wrist bends. So that one does like a half half measure. Uh, so all those things you have to think about. Then you reach the point of the skin, like because you've rigged this person, but as you say, like the skin needs to be controlled and, yeah. and all this stuff, which tend to end up on tech art as well. Yeah. It's usually tech animator. Right. job, uh, which like I applied internship for, but then I was actually hired as tech artist, mm. which I do prefer, I think. We have an episode on technical animation. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Plug a ruski. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, but uh, so w when you get in a new animation, like let, let's keep it at uh, an emote and yep. it moves in a way that is different from what has been in the game already. Can you then maybe see issues with you know, it starts clipping clothes together in a, in a weird way. And then that needs to be looked into. Exactly. Like it's often a chain reaction of problems. Like it could be the, the motion of the animation that breaks the clothes or it's the skinning that we never seen move that way on a shirt. And it's like, oh, when you actually do hide, you heighten your arms a lot, that breaks it. And we never see that, mm. you know. Um, so yeah, that's, 
that's a big thing. Does it happen with the rigging as well? Like, okay, we have this new emote and all of a sudden you see the arm starts to bend in weird ways when it does it, or you, you, you feel like, okay, we have a human skeleton now. I think that's more the animators. Like yep. when they get the mocap data, they need to clean up so the hand doesn't like spin. A full, <laughs> like the hand wants to go from like a little twist to a high twist and then it does a full lap because it thinks it's more <laughs> logical. That could also happen. So again, yeah, we, we, we keep jumping around between what your job title is about and, and stuff that you've actually been doing. But mm. um, I saw in my notes something about fixing eyeshadow as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it seems to be you've been looking at a lot of little fixes in systems and stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's been super fun to actually be so new and to actually be so trusted to run entire new functions in the game. Paolo mentioned that he thought that our helmets look kind of odd because the eyes are so bright inside them. Like you have one of the hunter masks in the game and like the shadow should actually land and darken your eyes, but our game rendering doesn't look really like it doesn't really understand that the helmet is blocking the sun. Uh, so I was like, well, then we sheet. <laughs> we put just a, a mesh in front of the eyes. That's like a gradient color from dark to white. And then we make that transparent. And that makes it look like if you do it subtle enough that some shadow is just falling on on the face. Mm. This is one thing we come back to a lot as well. Like game, game development is complicated and it's also cheating. It's like a lot nuts. of cheating. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's a game of smoke and mirrors. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> like one of, the, one of the hardest pieces was a mask that had like an opening to the sides. And I was like, it should be some shadow, but how do I make sure that the illusion isn't broken? So I had to like put the mesh really close to the face, to like the outline of the nose, so that you can't from the side see that it's a visible little thing making things darker. That was really hard. Because like you need to adjust it for noses that are very long and so they don't poke through the shadow and become bright. Uh, that was tricky. That would look super cute though. It would look super cute with just a button <laughs> nose just poking through. So, so when... Uh, are you working more on like uh, systems that work across uh, different elements and, and uh, you know, hats and clothes and stuff? Or are you also going in and individually helping tweak each and every one? Or is it a mix of, of both? Like, I'll just say yes. Yeah, I, 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 I like, <laughs> We're back to the shirt. Yeah. We're back to the shirt. No, now, but I'm, I'm trying to get like a, the scope of what, where, you're, where you're mainly... Uh, working it's it's dependent on what we talked about before with the TUs like uh, if we're gonna release a new um, uh, like uh, <clears throat> clothes pack uh, we need to make sure all those clothes fit uh, within the confines of the game and look good with the uh, old clothes and all the shaders need to look good on them we need to have showcases for them and uh, skinned properly and uh, like oftentimes it's super fun as a team we just talk about like cool ideas like we had this backpack that had a fan on it. And I was like, okay, uh, this looks good. Everything's working. And then one of our concept artists goes, shouldn't the fan spin sometimes? I'm like, oh, that's super cool. Uh, so I was like, okay, what do we have here? And then I see that the fan is just an image. It's like, if I make the fan spin, there's nothing behind it. So I need to, like, I needed to move the fan away, make it its own thing, and then just invent a new backdrop for it. And then we had a, a spinning fan on the backpack. And that's all the tweaking and polishing we're doing to make sure that the, everything is as nice as it can be. 
when we release it. And then when we do that, I have time to sit with like the bigger systems. Like, okay, eyeshadow. Uh, now we can spend some weeks looking at this. Like, how do we make it? Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And how, because we've, we've talked now about um, all the stuff you do, but we mentioned tech animation, animators. We've talked about Palle, mm. uh, the art producer. And then, of course, we have all the people around that are making the other systems in the game. Mm. And then we need to bring it all together because we release, need to release that to you, as you were saying, title update. Um, exactly. How do you communicate with other teams? How do you communicate within your team? Like, how does it, how does it all come together to actually become a game? We actually have like, uh, we have an art chat uh, where we put everything up and everyone there is allowed to come with ideas, like even beyond your discipline. Um, like one time I did like embers throwing, to, um, like going through the sky. And there was a concept artist that was like, shouldn't embers actually go up because they're warm, not go down? And I'm like, hey, that makes sense. And thanks to the fact that we had to have such open dialogue, we noticed that and we could actually adjust that. And uh, we also, we sit very close to each other. So we take a peek at what we're doing and we're like, hey, wouldn't this be kind of cool? And then we go, oh, maybe it would be actually. And we try to implement it. So I feel like when you're so open as, uh, as a team, as we are, the things really get the polish they deserve mm. because everyone notices something small. Right. Even though it's not your discipline. I, I can recommend going by Connie's desk. I actually have it right in front of me so I can <laughs> see the stuff he's doing. I was like, oh, that looks cool. Um, but yeah, because because that, that's an important part of the podcast, I feel generally how, just how these things work. Uh, yeah. Because it's so, so interconnected. Yeah. And let's, let's, if we do a little thought experiment, let's say there's a... Because you talked about a backpack before. There, there's a backpack. Mm. There is a concept art of a backpack. Wh where in the, uh, well, the production of that uh, asset will you come in? Uh, at the very end. Okay. Uh, so you start a concept. The graphics designer, they do it. Uh, they make, it, make sure it looks good and it's in engine. And then I take over and... They're like, oh, this screen should move and this screen should show a compass. Or, uh, of course, you need to also skin it to the, to the backpack skeleton. So that's, that's where I come in. So I make sure that, okay, every shirt you put on, the backpack still looks good with the straps on it. And uh, the effects they had in mind in concept phase, I try to bring to life in a fun way. Um, and then the final step is just everybody discussing and like, did this work? Does this look good? And should we tweak stuff? Yeah. So, so when they make the art for the backpack, they're, they're, they are not, it's not on a model al already. No. It, it's kind of, I guess, like a, a flat skin that you need to uh, morph onto the backpack. Or... Oh, oh, uh, no, no, no. Like the backpack is already textured. Okay. It has already like all its colors and stuff. Uh, but the skinning is uh, just making sure that the mesh moves with the body ah, of the character. Okay. okay. So that's not the step I do. Okay. You have on the list, we have a, we have notes. Um, <laughs> learning to skin a character head though. Because yeah. you talked about making humans work and how, how but faces, I mean, we're staring yeah. at each other right now. That was so tricky. Like this is the first, uh, I did some heads at TJ, but it was like so bare bones. If you compare to a cinematic head with all the muscles that goes into the face, I was like, 
it was so daunting seeing all these joints. Like, well, I'm like, what is this? <laughs> like, they're all <laughs> thankfully named to like real muscle groups. So you can look up like, okay, what areas this is supposed to have? <laughs> but like trying to be like, okay, well, this muscle, I guess, should move this. And when you actually have put this, like the joints where they're supposed to be, like, okay, here's the eye, here's the, the corners of the mouth. And uh, you skin them somewhat appropriately. Like, okay, it looks kind of good when I'm moving this. Then we have something called FBR that actually has facial poses saved. So like a happy face and then you can slide it and it's like a happy face. Mm. Then you need to tweak that file to make sure that, okay, now when the joints are in this position and the skinning is in this position, it still looks good. That, that has to produce a couple of creepy faces. Though, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you notice... You have like an inside of the mouth and sometimes you notice like, oh, I accidentally put neck skinning on the inside of the mouth. So it just flies out okay. of the cheek. It's like, well, good job. Yeah. Uh, Immediately, I'm thinking like anybody that's ever booted up Gary's mod and played around with yeah, the faces no, there, you know what we're talking about. The really, the biggest surprise was when I could put like facial animations on a character and the mouth moved smoothly, I thought. I was like, this looks good. Looks natural. Then the animator said, yes, but he's not making the shapes he's supposed to be. Like when you're saying this word, the mouth does this. And my face did not do that. It was just smooth. So like making sure that, oh, the O and the A faces look proper. Holy, like it was, yeah, it was the, a lot of work. Everything is contorting as it should. Yeah. And you mentioned before, like the Uncanny Valley thing, like the faces are the top dogs on Cali Valley. Like yeah. you can tell immediately when it's not correct. Yeah, I think I think the, like the, the top one thing that you'll you that you'll notice is if there's a muscle in the top of the lip that pulls it up, mm. that's not supposed to be there. That doesn't happen <laughs> on humans. Exactly. <laughs> but like when you're sitting there and just trying to make everything look good, you're so close to what you're doing. You don't really you don't see it that way. It's not that apparent until like the animation everything goes on. Yeah. So what are you Obviously, uh, we keep releasing new cool stuff, new apparel events and stuff for uh, the Division 2. And we have one. Either it's just out or it's coming up, depending on when this episode is released. I'm pretty sure they won't let us release this until it's out. Okay, so it's out right now, <laughs> which do you've done a lot of work on. Yeah, I mean, uh, I haven't skinned all the sets, but a lot of them I have. And we have a uniform that... The first uniform we release, actually, that has physics on it. Uh, we've, we have physics on cloaks before, but only on enemy characters, not on mm -hmm. player characters. And that's because making a cloak that works in everything the player is allowed to do is quite challenging. So we actually did like uh, some concepting where we tried out if, is this even a feasible idea? Can we make it happen? And then when we actually had that done and it seemed to be working fine... We're like, okay, we're ready for, we're doing this concept and we're trying our best. And yeah, it was just a lot of trial and error. Like where is the joint chain supposed to be to make sure that it follows the legs when it's, when he sits down and it's still allowed to like flop around when he's running. Mm. Um, so yeah, there was a good two weeks just on physics on a, on a cloak. Yeah. What do you mean when you say that there's physics on the, oh. the cloak? Uh, it's actually just, it's fake, of course, like everything in games. <laughs> you actually tell the joints uh, how much they're allowed to move depending on the movement of their parent joint, if that makes sense. So you're telling them there's like a limit, so you bend this much. 
So when you're running, it bends backwards that much. But you need to make sure that when the cloak goes back on the body, there's a stop. Because mm. the leg is supposed to be there. But the system don't, doesn't understand that. So like, okay, this joint here is a collision box. So when you get this close, then it stops the physics. So pretty much that repeat forever. <laughs> once you had it up and and ready to go in game did you go through like the list of emotes as well to <laughs> check out all the yeah. different movements yeah just to make sure that there's no daunting like <laughs> here the cape just flows up into the space <laughs> yeah uh, but i mean physics or game physics is what it is uh there will always be small weird janks in it but i i hope that i got it good I hope the players are happy with it. It'll be fun. I think they look great. And what about other stuff in this update that you've been directly uh, well responsible for for getting in there? Any other highlights that do you uh, you want to talk about? Well, we actually had a super fun uh, problem with the cache uh, that the players opened to see the clothes, because uh, the graphic designer that did the cache wanted a new shader on it. Uh, he was like, "Okay, we want the electricity to pan." And then we want it to be different colors and different strengths. And I'm like, this is starting to be like five shaders in one. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we could make a new one that did all this. But the game itself loads all the shaders up at startup. So the more we add, in the future, it will slow the game down. Mm. So we're like, if we add a new shader, it should be something that's good for more than one piece and that we really need. So I was like, okay, how can we actually do everything he wants uh, with the shaders that we have. So we actually started cutting up the mesh into tiny puzzle pieces around the lines that transfer the electricity into the box. If you guys, if the players who listen to this have actually seen the box, would make it easier. But they're like, there are lines that goes from outside the box in. So uh, the like the topology, which is how the uh, the edge loops are formed on the mesh, it's all over the place because it's just like around all these bends and stuff. But uh, it, it was easier and better for the game to just make the mesh a mess and then have the shaders just do their thing. Yeah, that, that's what it comes into what we've talked about a lot uh, on basically every episode of this podcast. And that is the economy of resources within mm-hmm. a game. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, I mean... Yeah, we, we want a huge explosion, and it would be awesome if we could have twenty layers of fire. <laughs> yeah, well. but you know, then we're down to five FPS and a half an hour load up time to get into the game. So you know, we have one, and then mirror it and close because then we just have to load in one asset thirty times. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. It's always a balance of trying to make things as good as like look as good as possible and performance. That's yeah. always the hiccup. Yeah. So we we've gone through now. Not only what a what a tech artist does, uh, your school, etc. I think we've gone into very much detail, yeah. which we don't always do like for, for these things. A lot of stuff you worked on in, in uh, the game, which has been great to hear. But if people are sitting at home, they're listening, watching, leaving a, a review, liking and subscribing. Clicking the bell as they should. Clicking the bell as they should. Um, <laughs> then they might think, tech art, that sounds... Now I know, now I can answer my teacher's question if I apply (laughs) to a school that offers tech art. Ready for Uh, day one. Yeah, (laughs) Massive told told me that. Um, But if if I would be interested to get started 
do you have any tips and, and tricks for for me watching this? Uh, I would do um, I would start to learn programming, uh, especially Python. Okay, uh, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, that's actually the course that most people like when they drop off tech art that's what they drop off on mm. and uh, there's a youtuber called uh, tech with tim that does really thorough tutorials on this and he like i needed to watch the videos three times but eventually <laughs> it sank in <laughs> and like even with all that prep when actually getting to school it was still a hard course to mm. get so prep that for god's sakes um some basic 3D knowledge is golden. Uh, they actually expect you to have prior 3D knowledge, maybe even from like working with it. So uh, go ahead, get Blender, uh, go to Blender Guru. He goes through all this stuff and just start to learn like the terms of it, start to learn the basics of it, like how do you do it? Um, that's also something you really need. Mm, yeah. uh, otherwise, like the most important part is your portfolio. And I feel like focus on your strengths. Uh, if, you, if you like VFX, like do something cool in Niagara, in Unreal Engine, look up tutorials. Uh, don't copy the exact tutorial because the teachers have seen this mm. a, a ton of times. <laughs> Use it as a base, do your own thing. Uh, if you're more interested in rigging, uh, get a cool character, look up tutorials online and, and do a cool thing and show it off, like all the functions of it and stuff. Um, but yeah, mostly like Unreal, super good, uh, Blender Guru and Tech with Tim. Mm. Like Maya is industry standard, but Blender teaches you more than enough. Yeah, because that, that's something that I've been wondering about as well, because we, we mentioned a lot that, you know, you can get free access to the game engines or, yep. for example, Blender. But so the, the skills that you acquire there are transferable to when you switch to, for example, Maya or to Snowdrop, because... I mean, I guess you're doing kind of the same thing. There's just the buttons are in a different place. Yeah. I say yeah, very, that's, I say yeah, very that's the difference but, between <laughs> between the different that's engines. All the different things. Wait, where's this quick menu? <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works, kids. Yeah, if you know Blender, it's exactly the same as Maya. <laughs> it's named Blender. No, but uh, it might not be one on one, but it for sure helps a ton. Yeah, at, at least it makes it easier to acquire those skills in another project or another program. For sure. I would definitely say that Unreal helped me learn Snowdrop, for sure. I think uh, generally for, for people watching to become interested in these things, uh, the portfolio part is something we brought up in, in several episodes before and how important it is to really work on it and make sure that it's the best you can do. For sure. That's your entire pitch for them picking you. So make sure it's the good. Uh, same goes for when you're actually like when you pick your school and you want to get hired for a, like a, a position. Same thing there. Like get a website, classy name on the website, spend the money. It's worth it. Don't they, use your old gamer tag. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Like they look at like you kind of feel like they would just look at the job you do. Mm -hmm. But the sad truth is it's not that simple. Because when you as a person see someone's portfolio, it's inevitable to notice all the other things. Right. Like if the website has like the URL and it's just numbers and, you know, whatever, mm. you're like, oh, that doesn't look classy. And it kind of takes you away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it kind of gives you an inclination of how detail oriented they are. For sure. Yeah. Everything matters. Yeah. Same thing with um, 
when I was like showcasing my rigs from school to get this position, it's like, remember the lighting when showing off the rig. And I'm like, the lighting? I, I don't know any about this. So my teacher was like, hey, you need to make sure the lighting shows off the model properly and it looks classy. And it's like all this stuff that has nothing to do with your work that you need to make sure is still there. Yeah, do a lot of research. Do a lot of research. And you know where to do the research. <laughs> yeah, in all the previous episodes of, exactly, exactly. of the podcast. Exactly. But yeah, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank it's you. It's been a pleasure. And a, uh, as always, a on this uh, podcast, a learning experience. I feel like I'm getting smarter every single month. Yeah. And uh, I hope you guys listening are as well. So uh, yeah, thank you for listening or watching if you're on YouTube. And uh, see you next time. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.